mindcoolness.com. Let's get right out. This is Dom from mindcoolness.com. And yeah, in today's podcast, mindfulness podcast number four, I'm gonna talk about the two remaining blog posts from February 2016. The topics are going to be willpower, lessons in self-discipline, number one. So that's the first part of my willpower series. And the second article is going to be eight reasons why you're still not meditating every day. All right. Willpower, lessons in self-discipline, number one. The first principle, uh, again, the first principle in my willpower series states your self-discipline increases when you minimize distraction. First of all, no, you probably don't have ADHD. Don't take this uh, as a medical advice, because I'm not a doctor, but for some people, attention deficit disorder seems to be just a convenient excuse not to take responsibility for their lack of discipline. The truth is, everybody gets distracted. You can do something about it, but not if you hide behind a mental disorder you most likely don't have. Okay, now with this out of the way, let's get started. In an experiment by Schiff and Nallis from 2004, people had to remember a number with either two digits, which was the low distraction group, or eight digits, high distraction. Higher distraction led people to be more influenced by their emotions when choosing a food item, milk chocolate versus a more healthy alternative. So if you want to make rational food choices because you've committed to getting shredded, then minimize your distractions when you buy groceries. And if you don't buy shitty foods, yeah, you can eat them. It's the easiest way to stick to your diet. When you're distracted, you're more likely to give in to temptation or get lost in procrastination land. You lose focus, you lose control, you get affected stronger by emotions and your behavior becomes a function of impulses and habits. That's why good habits are so crucial. They work in your favor when your conscious mind loses supremacy. However, in order to develop good habits, concentrated mental power is absolutely required. So long as you're in the process, so as long as you're in the process of habit development, you must minimize distraction. In case you want a more scientific explanation, consider the role of the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. This part of the human neocortex mediates both willpower and working memory. If your working memory is busy processing distractions, which, it, which means high cognitive load, you will have less resources to exert willpower. Remove the distractions and your willpower will increase. Simple logic. Now back to the more practical stuff. How can you minimize distraction? Types of distraction are as varied as willpower challenges. Turn off the TV or music in the background, leave the house, stop multitasking, wear earplugs, unplug your router, router, whatever, or stop looking at your fucking smartphone. As soon as you identify what's distracting you, it won't be hard to find a way to get rid of it. You just have to actually get rid of it, not bitch around. 
by the way if you feel like you want or need distraction consider what you're doing with your life that you have to distract yourself from it one source of distraction however is as common as it is pervasive and tough to deal with your own mind how often do you find yourself obsessively thinking about something unproductive when thoughts go are going around in circles go meditate so yeah i'm also going to talk about this uh, later in the next um yeah in the next next topic eight reasons why i'm still not meditating every, every day but here it says yeah go meditate set an alarm for 10 minutes or 20 minutes sit down comfortably adopt a straight posture close your eyes observe your body as you breathe in and out don't control your breath just observe it when your thoughts when thoughts hijack your mind you smile at them and you guide your mind back to your breath moving in and out through your body when the alarm goes off you're done ready go you can stop the podcast set your alarm and do as i instructed sure meditation requires self-discipline but it also strengthens it just like weight training both requires and strengthens muscles in the long term meditation is the royal road royal road to self-discipline along the road unwanted distractions become more controllable more minimizable less distraction equals more sex personally minimizing distraction has helped me powerfully in dealing with my approach approach anxiety when hitting on sexy female strangers during during the day focus don't get distracted by the other strangers around don't get distracted by bullshit excuses or possible outcomes you're too busy talking to a girl for one minute to grab her number don't lie to yourself and don't get distracted by how your body language might look like to her will i act bad as enough fuck that if all you think about while walking up to her is hey 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 then you will succeed no but what will i say after that no she's so pretty i wonder how her children will look like no her ass is so tired i wonder how hard i'll get when i squeeze it no no distraction just say hey in this example unimpaired focus on a task at hand strengthens the positive impact of willpower i will but what about when you need to say i won't when what when your focus is directed at something that you seek to avoid can you distract yourself from temptation when your day is filled with exciting meaningful activities do you even think about the bad habits you seek to avoid it seems like the best way to overpower your temptress is to distract yourself from her thus for the negative force of willpower your power to resist the principle seems to reverse into maximize distraction not really when you're focused on living life through fulfilling activities in life in line with your true will and purpose bad habits aren't even part of the equation the concept of distraction doesn't apply on the other hand when you are actually facing your temptress you can't simply do something meaningful instead not unless you apply willpower first to push your momentum in another direction. Therefore, maximizing distraction won't be a helpful advice to increase self-control.
still even preschool children are capable of applying self-distraction techniques to successfully delay gratification at least for 15 minutes in a study by Michel and Everson in from 1970 more well, pretty old study see See a food you like to eat, but shouldn't cover your eyes. Sounds easy, but can you rely on it? As long as your body mind stays focused on your temptress, it's just a matter of time until your psychologically and physically, physiologically charged potential flashes into action. Failed again. What you really want to do is redirect your body mind charge. How you ask, regain control. Regulating your breathing rate, as, I, as I've talked about on the last podcast, will help. If that's not enough, seek to prolong the time until you give in. If you know right from the start, and often you will, that you're about to give in to a craving, accept the fact that you will and start to mindfully observe what's going on in your body. Don't fight it. Just use this mindful observation to delay the, the moment of your surrender. What sensations are there in your body? How tense are your muscles? Where do you feel pain or discomfort? If you practice this acceptance and mindfulness, your giving in will feel less like a capitulation. You will regain some of your control a bit more every time and retain your positive mindset. Then someday, when your temptress rises again, you will be powerful enough to experience your body-mind, fully accept the temptress inside you and let her go. Then watch her fall and decay. Breathing and body-mind observation is definitely superior to mind mindless distraction. I've heard people recommend distraction through watching TV, listening to music, solving a puzzle, reading a book or going outside for a walk. While this might work on some occasions, such ways to suppress desire will not work consistently in the long run and such ways are not reliably available at all times. In contrast, your breath and your body-mind are always present, always at your fingertips. Breathing, body-mind awareness, acceptance, mindfulness. Isn't that just meditation again? Yes. This process of regaining control certainly is a form of meditation, form of mindfulness. There's really no way around meditation if you care about your self-discipline. And yes, meditation will strengthen your mental strength. Oh, that's a poor formulation. As well as improve your attentional control. Malinowski discusses the neural mechanism of the latter relationship in his art review article from 2013. Link, um, yeah, of course on mindfulness.com um, forward slash mastery forward slash willpower minus self minus discipline minus one. Keep in mind, however, that resisting distraction requires willpower and will thus fatigue your self-control muscle. But what is fatigue? Are you fatigued or just anxious and weak? While self-control fatigue does exist, it sets in later than you think, always. Every athlete knows this. When you think you're fully exhausted, you've still got more than three-thirds left in your tank. Don't misuse the studies you may have read on ego depletion, the theory that willpower is a limited resource that can be exhausted as a limiting belief or an excuse to not push through discomfort. 
if you give in to your desires as soon as you feel you're not in your most optimal state anymore, you're giving up too early. This will weaken your self-control muscle. Easier said than done, especially when cool motivational sayings get confronted with the real world. A frequent concern for me is MMA training, particularly on sparring days. I wake up at 5 a.m., have some coffee, lift some weights, eat a large meal, and then I'll work for hours on end. Total focus. I must be efficient and produce peak quality. In my head, however, I know that it is going to be a brutal training session. If I don't want to get my ass kicked in sparring circuit, I must reserve some willpower so I can't exhaust myself fully by putting 100% of my energy into the work I'm doing right now. Or can I? This is anxiety about willpower depletion. To deal with this anxiety, I choose to allow myself to take a 10 minute power nap right before I hit the gym. Will this restore all of my energy and willpower? In my head it does, and that's all that matters. What's cru crucial here, however, is not the power napping per se, but that awareness of this potential method to replenish my willpower will alleviate my anxiety about its depletion. You see how this works? Anxiety is a stressor. Stressors cost willpower. Remove the stressor and you will have more willpower, even if in the end you don't even take the power nap. But now let's take a closer look at the ego depletion theory. Is your willpower limited? Job and colleagues in 2015 have shown that ego be uh, belief in ego depletion, the belief that willpower is limited, is a limiting belief that will lower your willpower. But ego depletion is a scientific fact, right? So how can you not believe in it? Or how can you not believe it? Tricking yourself, like I do with my potential power nap, will only mitigate additional willpower drains, not reverse any fatigue. Certainly, there is such a thing as fatigue. However, recent studies suggest that ego depletion does not exist. For example, Lurkin and colleagues from 2016, a very recent study, did not find any evidence for the claim that people have less self-control after a willpower depleting task. What did they do different in the study? They used a large sample size, um, 200 participants, which reduced statistical manipulation possibilities, blah, blah, blah. The experimenters were blinded to the pre-registered uh, pre hypothesis and ensured they didn't influence the results. The experiment um, didn't test self-control per se, but working memory, which however has been correlated with self-control in several comparable study designs, also consider again the role of the dorsal lateral prefrontal context mentioned above, and to control whether participants actually followed the instructions or not, which is quite crucial if you think about it. Uh, that's actually boring to read, I have to admit. A similar failure to replicate the ego depletion effect was reported by Sue et al. 2014. Furthermore, Carter et al. 2015, in a series of meta-analytic tests of ego depletion, found barely any evidence for the claim that self-control is limited by psychological or physical resources. The ego depletion effect might, may result from a publication bias. Positive results are more likely to publish particularly studies with smaller sample sizes, as their effect sizes tend to be larger. Yeah, that's um, a lot of scientific talk. Who cares? I'm just gonna 
leave it like that. Um, yeah, if you want some explanation, write a fucking comment on my post or just Google it. So does that mean that the theory of ego depletion is bullshit? Well, to say it like a girl, it's complicated. <laughs> yeah, you can see my further discussion, uh, see further discussion of this stuff. Um, yeah, and several other articles. And if you really wanna have a um, very condensed um, review and a summary of what ego depletion actually is or is not, then buy my book Willpower Condensed because. I condensed everything you need to know about ego depletion on, I think, one page or so. So it's really, really fucking condensed. Anyways, for practical and self-improvement purposes, it's definitely the best choice to drop the idea of ego depletion and rather opine, you have unlimited willpower. And then, yeah, there's some, tell me in the comments below, blah, blah, blah. So that's, yeah, and then the resources, it's all here. Now let's move on to the second article, eight reasons why you're still not meditating every day, which reminds me that I haven't meditated today, so I should do that after I'm done recording. So you've read about meditation, right? You know about its benefits on health, on happiness, vitality, empathy, focus, success. Every day you hear yet another rhapsody about the wonders of mindfulness exercise. Every day you come across a new scientific study about yet another way in which meditation positively effect affects your brain and body. Every day 20 new generic posts are written to the... You get the picture. Maybe you're already zealously telling others about meditation and about how you do it basically every day. Yet when you sincerely look at your past month, you find that you haven't been quite consistent with it. This was me, in fact, uh, it has been me several times ever since 2010 when I decided to take a small but firm step, step toward enlightenment every single day. Based on this experience, I can give you 8 reasons why you're still not meditating regularly and practical advice for what you can do about it. Reason number 1. Meditation is a tough-ass activity. There is no advice to give on this, but... Um, on this one, but I find it helpful to be aware of it in order to adopt a powerful mindset right from the beginning. Meditation trains and requires mental toughness. It may not look like it because you're not running around with an M16 trying to kill and survive behind any, the enemy behind enemy lines, or with USC gloves fighting in a cage, or with a fancy sword battling fire-spitting dragons. All you do or try to do is to sit still with only your breath. But you start to feel itchy and uncomfortable. You want to move. Thoughts arise. They distract you. More thoughts arise. More and ever more. Now you're trapped. Maybe you don't even realize it yet. You will though. And then you need to be tough. Keep going. Sitting still. With tough, I don't mean that you should be hard on yourself or put in more effort. Far from it. Mental toughness in meditation has a form like a smile, a delightful gratitude and inner laughter at your mind's tomfoolery and licentiousness. Your toughness laughs at your mind. Ha! Look who's busily wandering around again. But now, back to breathing. 
If you're anything like me, you'll quickly learn to see the toughness aspect of meditation as an exciting challenge, not an aggravating obstacle. Reason number two, you take too much pride in your racing mind. We're culturally conditioned to think highly of thinking, of thinking a lot, but we think too much. Still, we welcome our thought storms and praise them as signs of intelligence. When someone tells me about their first meditation attempt, they usually don't hesitate to defend their failure by pointing out on how special their mind is because it's thinking so much. For whatever reason, many people assume by default that they have more thoughts than others and since they consider this to be a sign of superior intelligence and imagination, they take pride in it and conclude, you know, I think meditation just isn't for me, I think too much. A second mindset shift may help. You have two options. Either you stop regarding all thinking as an intellectual gift and disassociated it, disassociated from cognitive virtues like intelligence, imagination, creativity, etc. Or you find a meditation related virtue that you can value higher than those thinking related ones, toughness, for example. Furthermore, learn to realize that you're not actually failing at meditation when your mind gets distracted and you get lost in thoughts. That's part of the process of meditation. That's why you do it. If your muscles would never fail and you could lift any weight you want, would you be in the gym strengthening your body? No. Muscle failure is part of the process of getting physically stronger, just like failing in meditation is part of the process of getting mentally stronger. The only difference is that physical strength gains are easy to measure. You simply write down how much you've been lifting, but you can also objectively measure your mental strength gains and track the process you make in meditation by using this advice. Yeah, just use this again for some shitty affiliate link, but we don't have this here in the podcast. This podcast is just pure in this sense. Podcast itself is a marketing tool, but I'm not marketing anything on the podcast itself. Because who listens to it anyways, yeah? Now, reasons three for why you're still not meditating every day. You think you have too much vitality to sit still. Think about also the ADHD shit. As long as you don't meditate regularly, sitting still without having anything to do but observing your breath will be uncomfortable. You're not already, when you're not already lost in a maze of your thoughts, you'll soon feel the urge to move. This doesn't mean that you're too energetic or vitalized for meditation, rather, it's a test of your mental toughness. Is your will strong enough to beat through the discomfort? To mitigate, yeah, to mitigate. Ha, I can read English, ha, proud of myself. To mitigate the excuse of being too vital, try to schedule your meditation sessions right after your daily physical exercise. Then you should you should have gotten at least so much desire for movement out of your system that you can sit motionlessly for 20 minutes. If you still feel you need to move your hands, head or lip, hips, try to shift your focus and inner movement. 
As a living organism, you can never stop moving entirely. There's always movement going on. If you want to move, don't move. But focus on what's already moving inside you. Bodily sensations, warmth, pain, feelings, and the air you're breathing. The air you're taking in and letting out. Another approach would be to replace seated breath meditation by moving meditation. Walking meditation, yoga, tai chi, karate, katas, etc. They're all legitimate mindfulness exercises. I practice moving meditation myself. However, it takes time to learn and internalize novel movement pattern, parent patterns. So since it does that, your focus will be on external rather than internal body motion for most of your initial practice. Also, I personally feel that seated meditation is superior to all other methods as far as raw mental strength is concerned. Reason number four, while you're still not meditating every day, you're attempting meditation marathons. If you haven't been meditating every single day for a few weeks, don't even think about meditating for longer than 20 minutes per session, unless you have nothing else to do in your life. Because you don't have enough mental or a mental, if you will, endurance yet. Second, you're setting yourself up for disappointment if you meditate for too long. If you don't complete your meditation marathon, you'll feel like a failure, which undermines the habit creation. And if you sit through a marathon while being constantly trapped in thoughts, the entire undertaking will seem like a big waste of time. And thirdly, you're setting the bar too high if you do it for too long sessions. As soon as your life becomes more stressful or difficult again, and meditation can't fully shield you from that, you'll either feel bad about having to devote less time to meditation or you'll drop the habit altogether. So if you think about or if you think you can meditate for 30 to 45 minutes, set your timer to 15 or 22. If you think you can do 15 minutes, set your timer to seven. It's also totally fine to start with two minutes a day for your first week. There's nothing to lose, give this tip a chance. Don't approach or don't attempt meditation marathons. Number five, while still not meditating on a daily basis, you lack emotional attachment to the benefits of meditation. The articles you read, the facts and stories you hear, the knowledge you gather, it's all just information. You know how good meditation is for you, but knowledge doesn't drive actions. Emotions drive actions. If you don't have any emotions attached to meditation or its benefits, you'll likely have a hard time getting your ass up to sit down and meditate. Look at all the people who go to the gym. Are they motivated by their knowledge about the scientifically well-documented or proven, as they say, health and longevity benefits of physical exercise? No, they aren't. Most people, if they're honest, are driven to work out because they feel ugly or insecure and it haunts them. Or because they would feel ugly and insecure if they didn't work out, but usually they, they're always insecure. Others work out because it makes them feel powerful and because they've experienced the actual health and vitality benefits. So they're emotionally involved in working out, so they do it. Don't get me wrong, 
meditation isn't about reaping the benefits. Meditation is purely process-oriented, not a goal-oriented process. But let's be real, the path is the goal, is an insight one can only gain when already walking the path. It'll motivate no one to get started. However, if the only reason you want to meditate is to reduce stress, anxiety or depression, you may also try an alternative method instead. Yeah, I'll talk about that in a later podcast. Alternative methods would be bioenergetic exercises or um, what else? Yeah, or working out physical exercise, of course, alleviate, reduces stress, anxiety, depression. How you, so how can you get emotionally attached to meditation? There are plenty of methods. One would be to read personal success stories of people who meditate regularly and share the experiences online, for example, on Reddit, uh, subreddit, uh, meditation. Another method which worked very well for me is to schedule your daily meditation practice in such a way that you can experience its immediate positive effects. When I started meditation in 2010, I used to meditate before going to bed. It made me sleep like a log. No sexual release required. I kept doing this for a while because I liked the subtle, subtle post-meditative bliss and I noticed that whenever I didn't do it, it took me longer to fall asleep and I felt less refreshed upon waking up. Cognitive bias or actual consequence of meditation doesn't matter. What matters is that my mind's association between nocturnal meditation and better sleep to better, together with the reward of mild bliss built enough emotional reinforcement that I kept meditating, at least until today. Another typical excuse set in, number six, you have too much other more important shit to do. Bringing balance in your life is, yes, you got it, a matter of toughness. People love to rave about passionate obsession as the royal or only road to success. If you don't dedicate 100% of your time, attention and energy to that one thing that is your life's purpose, you won't be the best, you won't be a winner, right? Who isn't afraid of mediocrity? Well, these are not questions to discuss here, but since you found this article, I assume that you already are aware of how meditation will not subtract from your 100%, rather it will multiply it. Hence, my advice here is again to adopt the supportive mindset. Meditation never distracts you from your most imp more important shit, rather it enhances your productivity, effectiveness and quality time. Second, integrating meditation into your ambition-driven life requires mental toughness while working harder and harder with mindless obsession is in truth the easier way because a unidirectional focus requires less control. Be cautious though, meditating too much may be harmful to your ambition for it might make you realize how your ambition is fueled by you caring way too much about what our people think of you. Reason number seven why you're still not meditating every day. You don't feel enough external pressure. <sighs> this is a long podcast. Fuck, already more than half an hour. Okay, you don't feel enough external pressure. I'm not saying you need or should have external pressure. Not at all. Nevertheless, it might be a valid reason to consider. Let's compare mindfulness training to athletic training. Athletes constantly experience external pressure. 
They have their coaches and training partners waiting for them in the gym. They have the support of the, their fans, friends, family, and maybe even the country they don't want to disappoint. They're often monetarily involved. They may have even they may even have an internalized external pressure like daddy issues. And of course, today every clown has their Instagram pics and Facebook check-ins. With meditation, on the other hand, nobody notices when you don't show up. Nobody cares. The complete lack of social pressure makes it hard for many people to stay motivated and actually do meditate. Now, when you're done telling yourself for the 17th time um, how you don't give a fuck about what others think, yeah, that was... So, again, now, when you're done telling yourself for the 70th time, yeah, how you don't give a fuck about what others think, you may want to take a minute to consider the drives behind your everyday actions. If you find in a moment of truth that you do respond well to social pressure, let, then let me reveal to you a quite counterintuitive trick for turning your craving for social validation or whatever it is into an advantage. Advantage. Relocate your meditation sessions to, to a place where strangers might see you. For example, meditate on your balcony if you live in an apartment complex. Meditate on a public bench, a nice spot in a park or wherever you can sit quietly while there are other people around. Before my first time doing this, I was worried that I might look weird or that there would be way too much distraction for I did this in a large city, sometimes in most crowded areas. But long story short, it worked for me. I even managed to reach deeper levels of consciousness doing this despite the external stimuli, maybe maybe in an intricate way even because of it. Besides, meditation retreats serve in part the same purpose. Meditation retreats not only provide you with a stress-free zone and environment, but also with enough social pressure to help you you sit still and meditate. Anyways, the more you meditate, the more you learn to appease your desire for external recognition and the less you need to rely on such tricks. Finally, reason number eight, why you don't um, meditate every day. Well, I don't know if it's an actual reason, but meditation needs to be a solid habit. This last point is obvious, but it's also the most crucial one. Meditating just whenever you feel like it won't work if you want to stay consistent. There is no way around solidifying it into a firm habit. Here are three tested approaches you may try to organize your daily meditation habit. Number one, pick a specific day of our time of the day and always use that time for meditation. This could be in the morning, right after you wake up, before you go to sleep, or at any specific time for which you set, should set yourself an alarm on your phone. Option two, tie your meditative practice to a daily activity. For example, meditate always before you leave the house or when you enter your home. Personally, I've currently connected my <coughs> daily practice to physical exercise. Since I train every morning, I'll simply meditate for 30 minutes right after I'm done lifting weights or doing yoga. This works great for me because it also integrates my advice from number three above. And now number three. 
Um, what was number three above? Ah, uh, yeah, this, this um, that you are too vital, that you have to move too much. So if you, if you do it after lifting weights, then you have all the movement out of your system. Although actually sometimes I've realized that this isn't actually the case. But yeah, let's not discuss it right now. Okay, the third option of how to create or build your meditation habit and make it stick is to generate your personal trigger. This will take some time to develop, but it's worth giving a try. For example, I used to take three deep focused breaths whenever I saw someone using a phone in public. Living in downtown, you can imagine that this was overkill. It was still a great practice though, as it allowed me to meditate briefly multiple many, many, many times during the day. <laughs> use your imagination, but yeah, you use your imagination to find a trigger that works best for you. A red traffic light, breathe. A bird song, breathe. A random laughter, breathe. Someone yelling, breathe. Or the vibration of your phone, breathe. Not with all those things, but pick one trigger that will make you breathe three times deeply with focus or mindfully. The options for self-conditioned instant meditation are limitless, but I recommend using this trigger approach more as an addition to, not a substitute for actual seated meditation that you either attach to a specific time or the day of the day or to a daily activity. Once you've decided to get your meditation habit ingrained in your nervous system, see to it that you stay rigorously committed. No exceptions, no excuses. So, two podcasts and almost 40 minutes, uh, two blog posts and almost 40 minutes of podcasting. Wow, wow. <clears throat> yeah, I've written, really written longer blog, blog posts at the beginning. But yeah, not doing that right now. So, and yeah, one last thing I realized with meditation is that for me, it also helps to really keep track of it. If I make a list of, yeah, just the days of the month where I have meditation um, or a slot for meditation every day that I have to check off, then I'll do it. But if I haven't written it down somewhere precisely, then I'll often fail to actually sit down and meditate. I'll usually substitute it with some other mindfulness practice, so I will do that. But the real sitting on my meditation bench, meditating for 20 minutes at least, I'll only do that if I really keep track of it every single day. So yeah, do that to, yeah. I think to really make it stick, um, unless you have a very, solid ritual that can never get disturbed in any way and now with the work um, I can't do that because yeah I don't have a solid morning ritual because oftentimes a morning ritual just consists of yeah getting to work and this messes up yeah a lot <coughs> but yeah either morning ritual or you really check off every single day now with that being said that's it for this podcast and yeah boom next week next i don't know when the next one will be maybe tomorrow who knows 
Yeah, see ya.